Well, we're in week two of this amazing story series, and what we're doing is we're looking at some of the more well-known stories of the Bible, more well-known stories in the Old Testament, those stories you might remember hearing in Sunday school or at a vacation Bible school as a kid, you know, maybe stories that you remember reading about. And now we know, I know the challenge in looking at stories like these, these older Old Testament stories is that we look at them and the, and the challenge is to think, um, what does that have to do with me today? I mean, does an amazing Old Testament story like this really have any relevance for me in 2012? And then thinking at a, about a question like that, I like the way that one author addresses it. Frederick Buchner said it this way. He says, the more he read the Bible, and I quote, I began to see that the Bible is not as I had always more or less supposed, a book of ethical principles or moral exhortations or cautionary tales about exemplary people or of uplifting thoughts. It's a book with a plot that can be readily stated. God makes the world in love, and for one reason or another, the world chooses to reject God. God will not reject the world, but continues in his mysterious ways and relentless pursuit of it to the end of time. The biblical past, he says, not only illumines the present, but becomes a part of the present. And until you read the story of Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, David and Bathsheba as your own story, you have not read it. Well, today the amazing story that I want to look at with you centers around the life of a guy by the name of Abraham. And, and if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, Abraham's story really begins towards the end of Genesis chapter 11, right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. And, and as you're turning there, let me just kind of bring you up to speed on what has happened in Genesis up to this point, beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we know that the book of Genesis begins with a God who creates the world out of love, and, and just as he had planned it to be, just as he meant it to be, and he, he made this world that includes all of the mountains and the oceans and, and, and the animals to go in it, and he created these ideal relationships where people got along well with one another and they got along with God. You know, people had dream jobs, and because they were at work managing this dream sort of world, well, you could say that life, that creation, was just as it was meant to be. The Bible pronounced it as perfect. But then things got messed up. Sin entered the world. Sin was the problem with the world. And starting with Adam and Eve, human beings turned away from God, and this dream world sort of begins to spiral out of control into one big mess. You know, a world full of love was now a world full of hate. A world full of trust was now a world of shame and, and blame. And, and a world full of life was now a troubled world filled with agony and death. And it started with Adam and Eve, but it only got worse with every person born thereafter. And, and as we discovered last week, things got so bad in the Bible that the scriptures say that the Lord God was even grieved that he had made man, that he had made the earth, and that his heart was filled with pain. And God was determined to destroy it all, but then the scriptures say that a man by the name of Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, God could have easily posted a really large condemn sign on planet Earth and just leveled the whole thing. But God doesn't give up. Instead, he gets to work with a guy by the name of Noah. You know, and after that, you know, with a guy by the name of Abraham, a guy that we're going to look at today and and here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see today in Abraham's life and through his family that, that, that God is willing to use this man. He's willing to use his family as a part of the work that he is doing to make this world right again. You know, God is going to bless Abraham so that he can bless others. And what I want you to see today and what I want you to see as his follower and what I want us to see, you know, as Genesis Church is that God wants to use 
people like you and me, people like you and me, to come alongside of others in this world, to pick them up, and to show them the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. And like with Abraham, you know, God has a very clear purpose for you. He's got a very clear purpose for me. He, he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you in your life so that you can bless someone else. So if you're at Genesis 12, let, let's pick it up together, uh, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now see, God starts with a single command to Abraham. He says, leave. He says, Abraham, I want you to leave your country and to go to this new place. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your father's household. God tells Abraham to leave everything that is safe and everything that's familiar to him. And and this is what's really interesting when, when you think about what God is asking him to do. God says, leave. He basically says, Abraham, you're being relocated. But he doesn't say where. He just says, I want you to go. Go to the land that I will show you. I mean, it seems a little vague, doesn't it? I mean, how, how many of you have ever moved before? You know, you've ever been relocated or gone to a new place, a new home. And I mean, for how many of you did you always know where you were going? I, I'm going to guess that for most of us, that was the case. I, I remember when Jenny and I were moving from Michigan to Louisville, I had been interviewing at a church in Louisville and made a couple of trips to Louisville without Jenny. In fact, the church offered me the position before Jenny had ever even had a chance to visit the city. And well, we accepted. And so you know, I remember our first trip down together was really to search for a house. And again, you know, Jenny had never been to Louisville before. Neither of us had ever grown up in a city. And so as we pulled into Louisville and as we're driving up and down these busy streets, I remember this Indiana girl, you know, looking at me with their big eyes saying, this city is a lot bigger, you know, than I thought it was going to be that I ever imagined. You know, now imagine, if you would, the conversation between Abraham and his wife, Sarah. You know, God says to Abraham, I want you to leave your country and to go to this new land that I will show you. And Abraham goes to Sarah and says, hey, we're moving. Uh, you need to start packing. I'm getting relocated. And, you know, maybe she responded, well, okay, that's great. You know, where are we going? And Abraham's like, well, I don't know. God just told us that he would show us along the way. I mean, it, it has to be the first recorded trip in all of human history where the wife is like, where in the world are we? You know, and the husband's like, God only knows. I, I, you know, I have no idea. But but here's a little backstory on Abraham, and this is interesting, and this makes it even more interesting when you think about Abraham and Sarah. You know, Abraham's not some hippie, you know, with nothing to lose. It's not like they're packing up the Volkswagen van and going off for this new trip and this new adventure together. I mean, as we see in Genesis 12, 5, Abraham's done pretty well for himself. Look, look at this verse. Verse 5 says, He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. You know, Abraham was wealthy. I mean, this guy had done pretty well for him in business. He's accumulated a number of possessions. He's got a whole posse of servants. But in spite of all of these things, God sends Abraham and Sarah off on this amazing sort of a race to a place called Canaan where they will own no land, have no networks, no connections with anyone. This will be a new beginning for them. I mean, this move had financial vocational and cultural implications. I mean, any reasonable friend or family member would have said, what are you doing? I mean, you know, why are you giving all of this up? Why are you even putting your family in great danger? But God promised. 
God made a promise. He, he promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation. And, and what he has in store for Abraham, I mean, is beyond anything Abraham could imagine or even think about accomplishing on his own. And the essence of God's promise, it comes out in a single word. We, we see it in verses 1 to 3, you know, and we looked at those verses just a moment ago, but let's look at them again. It says, God says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, now hear this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see the word? I mean, you, and you probably heard it in my inflection too. I mean, it's there five times. And any time a word like that is repeated over and over again, especially in a short passage of scripture, you know that it's a big deal. I mean, what's the word? It's the word bless. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so God tells Abraham and Sarah that he's going to bless them. You know, he's going to make them into this great nation. And that through them, that is through Abraham and Sarah, he is going to bless the entire world. Now, notice how he chose Abraham for the sake of everyone else. You know, God loved the world so much that at this point in history, he blessed Abraham so that the entire world could be blessed through him. And we see this confirmed in the New Testament too. Many years later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, when it's written, God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. You know, and with this blessing, you know, I just want you to see that God is continuing to work. He is putting this messed up world back together and he's using Abraham. He's using his family. He's blessing Abraham so that Abraham can be a blessing to others. Now, this blessing had to be appealing to Abraham and Sarah because at the end of Genesis 11, it says that he and Sarah were childless. And nation doesn't mean country. It means kids. It means big family. It means a really large community. And so God is saying that Abraham is going to have a family, but for Abraham and Sarah to receive God's blessing, it's just real interesting to see that they have to act on it first. I mean, he has to go first where God says to go. Now, when God makes this promise of a family to Abraham, you know, this family, this nation, well, you need to know that Abraham was 75 years old. He doesn't have a son. I mean, he's 75, and I'm pretty sure there's no little blue pill to be purchased at Walgreens. Sarah's 65. And so if you imagine the moving conversation being pretty awkward, I mean, imagine this one, you know, honey, you in the mood tonight? God says we're going to have a baby. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. God says, leave. He says, Abraham, I want you to go. And really, and this is fascinating, the whole story of the Old Testament and even everything in the New Testament hinges on one single amazing verse here in verse 4. Genesis 12, 4 says this, God says, go. And verse 4 says, so Abram left. He went. I mean, he was 75 years old. He's enjoying this comfortable, well-established lifestyle. God says, go. And in faith, Abraham left. I mean, he was willing to gamble everything for the blessings of God and the great purpose that he had for his life. You know, and there's a great story. There's a great lesson in there for you and me too, that, you know, Abraham's story and even his actions, you know, remind us that real faith isn't limited to what you believe. Real faith is expressed in our actions. It's as we go and we live it out, as we're willing to do all and as we're willing to risk for God. I mean, it's the action part that is so important. And for Abe, that meant moving to this unknown place that we know is Canaan today. Now read through the Bible, you know, one amazing story over and over again. I mean, you're going to see on how so many occasions God pronounces a blessing, but then he requires the faith 
to come in behind it. It's, it's though that step of faith, you know, those blessings don't unfold until someone is willing to take the first step. Kind of reminds me of a time I was speaking at a retreat in southern Indiana around the Brown County area, and it was the fall, and so it's not swimming weather, and a few of us had climbed this tower to the top of this zip line, and the zip line extended out about 20, 30 feet in the air over this lake and into the woods on the other side. Now, there was no one there to instruct us, no one there to show us how to do it, and again, it's not swimming weather, and so someone dared me to grab a hold of the zip line and to ride it to the other side. Now, you need to know I'm, I'm not a big dare sort of a person. I mean, if you dare me to do something, I'm probably not going to do it. But in this case, something came over me and well, I grabbed a hold of this zip line and I took that giant first step and jumped off of this platform and went flying across this lake. And it wasn't until about three quarters across the lake that I began to think, I wonder how this is going to end. You know, what's going to be on the other side as I go into the woods? I saw this really large tree coming, but thankfully there was just enough grass to jump off and to come to an end. And well, it was just a really pretty cool ride. It was a, it was a pretty great thrill. And, and, but I'd have missed out on that opportunity if I wasn't willing to take that giant step, if I wasn't willing to take that leap. And you know what? Some of you, some of you here even today, you're missing out on some of God's greatest work, some of greatest blessings for your life for one simple reason. You're not willing to take the step. You're not willing to take that first leap. You know, you're not willing to go first to take that step in faith. Now back to Abraham, you know, time goes on and all sorts of things are happening. I mean, the, the moving van arrived and wouldn't you know it, they get there and a famine hits the land. And so they have to escape Canaan and go to Egypt for a time just to ride out this famine. And then when it finally ends, they're back on their way to Canaan and, and Abraham and his family, they run up against all sorts of opposition from local warlords and, and all these things are happening, these bad things. I mean, the roof has got a leak, the AC is going out. Well, I made that last part up, but, but you can only imagine that Abraham is hearing it from the people around him. He's hearing it from his wife. He's a guy in need of some encouragement. I mean, he needs a reminder for why they left home and why they left the good old days. And well, in Genesis 15, a few chapters ahead, God repeats his blessing on Abraham and Abraham follows with this question for God. He just asks this, hey, how's this great nation thing going to happen? Because again, they don't have any kids. I mean, you told Sarah and I that we were going to have children, and we don't, we don't have any kids yet. And God, the last time that I looked, neither of us are getting any younger here. And it's not that Abraham lost his faith. He, he's just needing some encouragement from God as he's really struggling right now. Now, this is where the story gets really cool. Uh, God and Abraham have this DTR sort of a conversation. And if you were here for the Not A Fan series, you know the DTR is the define the relationship talk. It's that talk that's bound to come up in any dating relationship at some point to really determine who's in, you know, is this relationship going anywhere? And so God has this DTR with Abraham and well, here's how it goes. Genesis 15, 18 says that on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Now, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we defined co a covenant as a totally unending binding relationship. It's the deepest form of commitment or promise that two people can enter into. And in Abraham's day, when, when people made a covenant, you know, there, there would be a ceremony that would follow. And, and I know this is going to sound sort of strange. And if anyone here today is in PETA, you know, you're probably going to be tempted to leave the room. But just, just hang with me if you would. As this ceremony would take place, the two parties involved would take animals and they would slaughter the animals and, and cut them into pieces and lay them out on the ground in rows so that there was a path 
uh, in the middle. And it, it kind of makes me think of that little phrase that, you know, kids used to say when you were really wanting to make a big promise. You, you know how it goes. You remember the promise, like, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. It was just a real serious promise, you know. And well, that's kind of what's happening here. I mean, covenants were a big deal in the Bible, especially when God was involved. And so for Abraham, making a covenant, you know, with someone else, you know, making this covenant meant that someone would walk or pass through the slaughtered animals and in the flowing blood as an act. Again, it was a symbolic act, you know, the, the seriousness of, of such a covenant and the example of walking through the slaughtered meat. It, it's highlighted again later in Jeremiah 34 as it basically explains that as I walk through this, if I break this covenant, here's what this means, that what has been done to the animals, you can do to me. You can do it to me as a way of, of breaking this covenant. And so here's the covenant that Abraham and God established. Again, this is part of our amazing story. Genesis 15 verse 9 says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. And so then in verse 17, here's where the symbolic walk happens. Verse 17 says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Now notice how the Bible says that the fire and a torch passed down the aisle between the pieces of animal as the covenant was established. But what I want you to notice is this. Who was it that walked down the aisle? I mean, who stepped between the pieces of the slaughtered animal? One person. And it wasn't Abraham, but it was God. I mean, the fire and smoke, I mean, you know, they, they represent the presence of God here and in other places in Scripture, you know. And, and what's so significant about this is that God was so determined for Abraham to trust him, you know, that he was willing to take the oath for himself. And, and with this covenant and with this action, God is basically saying, Abraham, I want you to trust me. That's what I want for this relationship. I want you to trust me. And because of that, I'm willing to take the covenant walk. And if I break this covenant, if I break this promise to you to bless you, may what happened to these animals also happen to me. I want you to trust me for always. And I want you to see that I am a promise making, a promise keeping sort of God. Again, this is, this is a great story. And, and the significance of the covenant, it goes all the way back to Genesis 12, where we looked at just, you know, that God says, leave go. He says, I will bless you. And then this is the key part. And people will be blessed through you, Abraham. I'm going to bless people through your life. And, and though most of us will never hear God's voice the way Abraham did, you know, I just want you to know that God still speaks to each of us today. He, he speaks to us in his word and he says things like, I want to bless you. I, I want to bless others through you. What I did for Abraham I want to do through you. I, I blessed Abraham so that he can be a blessing for others. And this is what God has in mind for his followers. This is what God has in mind for Genesis Church today. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that is the, the purpose that he has for you, the, the purpose that he has for this church, that he is speaking blessings over us today. And as he blesses us, he wants us to be that blessing to others. You know, God didn't promise Abraham success for the sake of success. You know, he didn't say, I'm, I'm going to give you all these things or I'm going to give you this money, this money so that you don't know what to do with it all. I mean, God could have said that, but he didn't. But what he said to Abraham, I believe that he says to you and me today, God says that I, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to someone else. 
Here's how one writer describes the purpose of those blessings in our lives. He says this, you know, the journey with God is a journey of blessing to be sure, but it's not an elite and an exclusive blessing. Rather, God's people are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. The way God blesses everyone is by blessing some and giving them the role of servants to bless everyone else.